As we go to the Word this morning, we start a new sermon series in the book of Ephesians. We're gonna spend the next 13 weeks in Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, if you will open to Ephesians chapter one. If you don't have a Bible in your worship folder, you'll notice the sermon guide and it has the scripture there for you. Today's sermon comes from Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as, he, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. On a number of occasions I've had a young man come to me for counsel, and it's been this, that he's in love with a woman and he wants to marry this woman and she wants to marry him. But her father doesn't approve. And so he comes saying, what, what do I do? I, I long for her father's blessing over this, but he, he won't give it. And, and typically the conversation goes to something like, what, what have I done wrong? Uh, ha what have I done to him? Ha have I said something that offended him? Is it just who I am? And then to, it goes to the, to the next step of what do I need to do to win him over? What hoops do I need to jump through? How do I need to win over him so I can get his approval, so that I can get his blessing? The book of Ephesians starts with the blessing. And it's amazing blessing, it's, it's unbelievable. We're gonna unpack it, but just as we start, understand this isn't a blessing that you have to sweat for, that you have to work for, that you have to go to counsel with somebody and say, how in the world do I get this blessing? What do I need to do? It's not like that. It's an amazing blessing. Question is, what, what is the blessing that you need? What is the blessing that you need? And there's two questions embedded in that. One is, what does the word blessing mean? Second is, what does your heart most need? Let me, let me start with, what does the word blessing mean? It shows up three times in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, loud and clear. 
There's a blessing. Now, what does it mean? The reason I am gonna spend some time on this is because we have a, because of how our culture uses the word blessing, we don't necessarily understand what the Bible means by this, okay? When we say blessing in the form of uh, bless her heart, okay, which is really a, a strong phrase in the South, what do we mean by that? There's, there's a couple of meanings of that, right? Bless her heart can be the qualifying phrase before a juicy piece of gossip, right? Bless her heart. She is really struggling as a mom. Or, or bless his heart. He is, he is really struggling after he got caught cheating at work. Bless, bless his heart. Now, on the more positive side, we tend to use that word to say, I wish you well. Like, oh, bless her heart. I wish her well. Okay, that's not what the Bible means when it says blessing. Blessing is probably the closest synonym is the word shalom. It's the word that shows up in the Old Testament over and over that we don't have an English word for it. it we can't capture it, what it means. Shalom is the condition when everything is in perfect harmony as God originally designed it. That's what shalom means. And so let's start off with a working definition of blessing. Blessing is every joy and every benefit that your heart and soul need and long for. That's what blessing means. Every joy and every benefit that your heart and soul need and long for. Now, why do you need it? Why do you need it? If you're honest with yourself this morning, you and I have divided hearts. In fact, I'll take it a step further. You and I have schizophrenic hearts that are all over the place. We have impulses and desires in any given day that are all over the place. You may find yourself in one moment dreaming about the kingdom of God, and the next moment you're dreaming about a vacation house at the beach. In one moment, you're yelling at your spouse. <laughs> in the next moment, you're weeping because you did something you never thought you'd be capable of doing. Our hearts are schizophrenic. They need shalom. They need the blessing. <laughs> they need harmony. They need oneness, right? Our divided hearts that are giving allegiance to different masters all day long, all week long, need the blessing of oneness. It's why we've titled this sermon series, One. Ephesians chapter four, verse four, says one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And Paul says in verse three that he gave you this blessing before you were born. So we're gonna ask three questions about the blessing. How do you get it? What blessings do you get and what's the impact of it? Let's start with how do you, how do you get it? How do you get the blessing? Verse three, God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now verses three to 14 in the original language that the Bible was written or this part of the scriptures that was written in Greek is one sentence. It is one 202 word sentence. It is Paul 
exploding about this blessing, how you get it, what it is, the impact of it. Now, in English, we don't have room for a 202-word sentence, so it's broken up in your English Bibles, but it's one sentence. You'll also note in verses three to verse 14 that the phrase in Christ appears nine times. How do you get the blessing in Christ? You get it by being united to Jesus Christ, being in him, being united legally and vitally to his death, to his resurrection, to his life. And when you're united to him, when you're vitally and legally united to him, everything that he has belongs to you. Every spiritual blessing. The movie Made in Manhattan, if you've seen it, Jennifer Lopez plays the part of Marissa Ventura, who is a maid in a, a hotel in downtown Manhattan. And one day, her, uh, her co-worker maid encourages her to put on this expensive designer outfit that she finds in the closet of, of a social elite that's staying in the hotel as she cleans the room. And so she puts this outfit on, and she happens to, as she's walking around, catch the eye of a very wealthy man who is running for the U.S. Senate, Christopher Marshall. And he thinks that she's a social elite, and she, he, he begins to pursue her, and he falls in love. Well, it turns out she's not a social elite. She's a poor woman who's barely making it work, who's barely paying the bills, She's a single mom, she has a son, she can barely put food on the table, she can barely pay rent. He finds out who she really is. At that point, it doesn't matter, and he continues to pursue her, falls in love with her, and I, I can't remember if they marry at the end of the movie or not, but assuming that they marry, the minute that they are legally married, prenups aside, legally married, everything that he has becomes hers she becomes incredibly wealthy. When you marry Jesus Christ, and that is the language that the Bible uses to describe when you trust in Christ, he's the bridegroom, you're the bride. When you marry Christ, you get all of his wealth. Everything that he has becomes yours. That you become wealthy. Question becomes, when do you get this blessing? When do you get it? Do you, have to, do you have to earn it? Do you have to work for it? Like the story I opened with? Somehow do you have to work hard to, to get this? When do you get it? Verse four, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. God gave you this blessing before you were even born. Now you tell me how you can earn this blessing before you were even born. You can't. Now yes, you must respond. Just like the woman on her wedding day has to say yes, you have to respond. But God gave you this blessing before you were even born. You don't earn it, it is sheer grace. It is sheer grace that you get the wealth of Jesus Christ when you say yes to him. Heidelberg Catechism says it this way, answers the question, how are you right with God? 
or how, how do you get the blessing of God? Listen, only by true faith in Jesus Christ, even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Listen to this. As if I had never sinned nor been a sinner. As if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. Have you accepted the gift? Have you said yes to Christ? Are you married to him? You know, people say the question, are you a Christian? And some of the common answer to that is, well, I'm working at it. I'm working at it, I'm trying hard, I'm trying to do the right things. Listen, becoming, Christ, becoming a Christian is not a process. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either married to Christ or you're not. Now, what I mean by that is, I'll, I'll speak just theologically for a second. Justification is not a process. Sanctification over a lifetime of becoming more like Christ is. But you're either married or you're not. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be able to point to the date and the time that you said yes to Christ, but it does mean that there's a moment in your life where you say yes to Jesus and the moment before that, you were outside of Christ without the blessing, and after that moment, right, whether you can point to the day or not, it's a season, at some point there, the wealth of Jesus Christ became yours because you're married to him. That's how you get the blessing, saying yes to Jesus, being in Christ. That leads us to the second question. What blessings do you get? Wow. Verse three says, every spiritual blessing. I suppose we could go on endlessly talking about the blessings you get when you're in Christ. But Paul, in verses five to eight, notes two that are incredibly important. Adoption and redemption. First, let's look at adoption. He says in verse five, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Access to the Father. Access to God the Father. Paul goes on to write in Romans, he says it this way in Romans 8, verses 15 to 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That phrase, Abba, Father, is incredibly intimate. It's, it's like saying, Daddy, Daddy, Papa, Father. That, that's the access that when you are adopted into God's family, that's the access you get to God the Father. And do you see why? Once you're married to Christ, you get everything that he has. What does Jesus have with his Father? Oh, intimacy, relationship, papa, daddy. That's how Jesus interacts with his father. And when you're in him, guess what? You get the same access. 2014, there was a young toddler 
who slipped through the White House gate and started running across the White House lawn. Now, you can imagine what happened. Little toddler, tiny little kid. Secret service started scrambling. White House went on lockdown. President Obama rushed to safety, and the child was removed quickly. Now, you try hopping the White House gates and running across the lawn, not good things are gonna happen. (laughs) Why? Because you don't have access to the president. And that little toddler didn't have access to the president. But guess what? There's two teenage girls that do have access, the daughters of the president, that live in the White House, that can run across the lawn, They can run into her daddy's office and sit down on his lap in the office, past those little red ropes that when you visit the White House, you can't go past. They can text him. They can call him at any time. In a similar way, you have access to the Father because you're in Christ, and Christ has access to his Father. This produces an unbelievable amount of security. And I want to explore it for a second. This this adoption produces an amazing security in two ways that I want to look at. Number one, in verse five, note it does say, in love, he predestined or chose to adopt you in love out of his deep love for you. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. As I said, he adopted you before you were born. And then think about when you actually functionally were adopted, when you experienced it at your conversion or when you came to say yes to Jesus and become married to Christ. When did he adopt you? At your worst. When you were yet a sinner, covered in the filth and the shame of your sin, God the Father chose to adopt you. Our son is adopted. And I remember vividly when we were sitting down for our home study and the wife of the director of the agency that we worked with came and sat down for our home study. And she was telling the story of her daughter who was adopted. And she told the story in middle school of this daughter who, as you can imagine in middle school, uh, she was getting ridiculed one day and teased for being adopted. And as the ridicule rose and as the teasing got louder and louder, and her mom was so proud of this, this girl finally said, well, at least my parents chose me. At least my parents chose me. Oh, what truth to that. The father chose you. He chose you in love, out of his deep love for you. You are the apple of his eye. You're secure in his love. Amazing security. Second way in which we see this security play out is in in his inheritance. Look at verse 11. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 14, uh, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You know what that means? The estate of the Father belongs to you. You look at Bill Gates' children and say, wow, 
What an inheritance. I mean, it's billions. What an inheritance. That's nothing. Nothing compared to the inheritance that you and I have of the father who owns the entire world. Not just Microsoft. He owns the entire world. And because you're in Christ, the estate of the father belongs to you. Romans 8, 17 goes on to say, and this is in response to the Abba Father, you're a child of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Imagine that you're a a billionaire and you're shopping at Dollar Tree. Just imagine for a second, right? You're a billionaire shopping at Dollar Tree, you pick up $7 worth of stuff and you get it out to the checkout line you pull your wallet out, you see you have two tens, $10 bills in your wallet, so you give one to the cashier, you pay, you leave. Later that afternoon, you're looking into your wallet for some reason, and you notice that the other $10 bill is missing. And you blow a gasket. You get livid. Because you know exactly what happened. You accidentally gave that to cashier two $10 bills, and she didn't get the return the one to you, you call Dollar Tree, you call the corporate office, you get a, a, an investigation on this cashier because she kept your other $10 bill. Can you imagine doing that? You're a billionaire. It's a $10 bill. You're a spiritual billionaire in Christ. A spiritual billionaire. So why do you get so upset when somebody doesn't text you back? Or why do you get so upset when somebody doesn't return your email or your call? Or why do you get so upset when somebody slights you, maybe cuts you off in traffic? (laughs) Why do you get so upset and angry and jealous when somebody gets what you want? You're a billionaire. You are spiritually wealthy in the Father. The reason we do that is because we forget. We forget who we are. We forget who our Father is. So let's move on to the next question, or the next part of it. What blessings do you get in Christ? First, adoption. Second, redemption. Redemption. Look at verse seven. In him, or in Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. Redemption means to be set free by a payment or to be set free the payment of a price. Now, what do you have to be set free from and what's the price? Jesus says in John chapter eight, verse 34, that everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Sin, at its core, is proving your worth or justifying your existence apart from God. It's enslaving. Let me explain why. There's two reasons. When you try to prove your worth, justify your existence apart from God, it's enslaving for two reasons. Number one is you were created to find your significance and find your worth in God. When, apart from God, you look for significance or you look to justify your existence in something of this world, 
It always fails because whatever it is that you're looking to will promise to deliver that significance or that worth. The problem is it can't deliver, and so it's an empty promise. And that's why it's enslaving. And that's why maybe you keep going back to the same thing and you go, why? It failed once, it failed twice, it failed three times, but I keep going after it. Why? It's enslaving, it's an empty promise. And apart from God, you will chase whatever proves your worth or justifies your existence. And when it doesn't deliver, you're left with shame, with guilt. Let me just ask a couple diagnostic questions here. Think about this. Moms, mothers, why do you feel guilty much of the time about your parenting? Men, why do you feel ashamed of your lack of productivity and success in your career? Women, why do you feel ashamed of your body? The reason is because those are things to which you may be looking to prove your worth or to justify your existence. You may be enslaved by your parenting. You may be enslaved by your career. You may be enslaved by your body image. It's enslaving. And you can't set yourself free. You can't set yourself free, so what sets you free? Redemption, being delivered from something, set free from something, redemption through what? The blood of Jesus Christ. Only the blood of Jesus can set you free. The blood of Christ is the cost of your redemption. Only the blood of Christ can set you free and remove the guilt and the shame that you may be plagued with. Only the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus sets you free and plants you in him, where your worth and your existence rests in him. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about after he, well, before he came to know Christ, before his conversion, what did he do? Well, he murdered Christians, and he threw them in prison. Now, think about after Jesus got hold of him, and he said yes to Christ, and, and he became one with Christ. What did he do? He began going from town to town and preaching the gospel. Well, guess what? He went back to the very same towns where he had murdered people and thrown people in prison. He, he went back to the towns and had to face grandmothers and mothers and fathers whose children he had murdered. How did he get over that? How could he, he, he relationally interact with these people who he had inflicted so much pain on? How could he overcome that guilt? He couldn't rub it out, couldn't work it out because he believed what he wrote in Romans 8.1. That there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That's how he was able to get over his guilt in his shame. You know, redemption, it's, it's not like an ex-con just getting released from prison. It's more like the, the presidential pardon, which, which releases somebody, but it cleans up the record, that their record is clean, that redemption is you, you are freed by the blood of Jesus and your record is made clean. 
that you're holy and blameless in his sight. So how do you get the blessing in Christ? What are the blessings? Adoption, redemption, and then finally, what is the impact of the blessing? What's the impact of the blessing? In short, I'm gonna expound on it, but it's this. It's a redefinition of beauty. It's a redefinition of beauty in two ways, through vision and through worship. Let's start with vision. Look at verse nine. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, what does mystery mean? Mystery does not mean a puzzle to be solved. It means a secret to be revealed. What's the secret? The secret is that Jesus Christ is taking our fractured world and our fractured hearts and our schizophrenic hearts and uniting everything together as one in him. You think about an expensive, expensive, beautiful vase that, that drops on the ground and shatters into pieces. And you imagine picking up those pieces one by one and gluing them back together to get this vase restored back to its original beauty. That that's what Jesus is doing when he says he's uniting all things in him he is picking up the shattered pieces of your life and of your family's life and your neighbor's life and this, this city and this world. He's picking up the shattered pieces and he's putting them back together. You say, Keith, that's, that's real poetic. Isn't that just, you know, it's kind of glass half full, positive thinking. No, it's not positive thinking. It's reality. He's doing it today. He is doing it right now. He is bringing the world back together in him. And so the blessing, when you, when you receive the blessing by sheer grace and say yes to Jesus, it gives you a new set of glasses through which you see beyond the brokenness and the pain to the beauty that Jesus is restoring. You can't see that in the flesh, but in the spirit that he sows into you, one with Christ, you see through the, the, the new glasses of the blessing, you see the beauty that Jesus is restoring. Second, redefinition of beauty. It plays out in vision and how you see, what you see. Second, it's, it plays out in worship. In this one massive 202-word sentence, there's a phrase that gets repeated three times. And it's all about worship. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. You worship what is most beautiful. That's actually something that you don't have a choice on. That you will worship what your heart finds most beautiful. Paul has found something very beautiful in this passage and it's caused him to worship over and over to say to the praise of his glory. You know, there's no more powerful narrative structure than that of someone dying to set someone free. The scriptures say it, that there's no greater love than this than, than one die for his brothers. 
1982, January 1982, Air Florida Flight 90 takes off from Washington, D.C. Didn't get very far. Plummeted, uh, crashed into the 14th Street Bridge, plummeted into the icy Potomac River. After the crash, there were only six, initially, right after the crash, six survivors. The, uh, the rescue helicopter uh, comes over top and is looking, searching, and they see a man that's, that's moving in the water, so they drop the cable down with the, the rescue float, expecting him to get on it, and he doesn't. He swims over and he grabs this other person and he puts them on it, and they take this person up, take him to safety. Helicopter comes back, sees him moving around, drops it right on top of him again. He goes and swims and gets one of the other five that's still alive and puts them on the float. Helicopter takes off, takes the person to safety. This happens five times. They take the fifth person to safety, the helicopter comes back, and he's gone. His name was Arland Williams. They renamed the 14th Street Bridge in his honor because he died to save five people. He had five chances to, to rescue himself or to receive the rescue, and he didn't. He died to save five people. Jesus Christ did that for you. He did that for you. He died. He shed his blood on the cross, redemption through his blood, his lifeblood poured out of his body so that his lifeblood could pour into you. Now that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That'll cause your heart to wake up in the morning with something to live for, and that'll cause your heart to wake up in the morning not having to prove your worth and justify your existence. Jesus Christ becomes more beautiful than your bank account. Jesus Christ becomes more beautiful than the pornographic image on the screen. Jesus Christ becomes more beautiful than your career. Jesus Christ becomes more beautiful than your health. To the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father, every person here desperately needs this blessing that you speak about. Because every one of us here has a fractured heart, a divided heart, a schizophrenic heart that is longing for, for things that, that won't satisfy. Father, would you root in our hearts today this amazing truth that in Jesus Christ we're adopted, we're redeemed, that we're spiritually wealthy, that we're sons and daughters of a God who loves us deeply. And Father, may this blessing have a tremendous impact on our lives. 
that we would be secure in your love, that we would erupt in praise for you, that we would have a vision that sees beyond the brokenness to Jesus what you are restoring, that that would bring joy and hope to our hearts. And Father, most of all, would you give us a tremendous amount of assurance this morning to be reminded that we did not and cannot earn this blessing, that you gave it to us before the foundation of the world in love, that we didn't have a chance to try to work for it, that, that Father, you through your son, worked it for us, and that we simply receive it. Father, as we close in worship, and as we sing in Christ alone, would you cause our hearts to come alive to our union with Christ? And we pray this in his name, amen.